102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Cora Boyd, a relationship coach, about navigating the modern dating landscape. Her lineup challenge in identifying who is together with whom went viral, aggregating over 11 million views on the cut. Thank you for joining me today on Spark, Cora. Thanks for having me. So do you think it's more difficult to find love in this modern age? I think we're in um, a unique moment where my answer to that question in short is yes, um, but with a optimistic caveat, um, where I actually think we're in a pretty critical moment where we get to decide to not make it so hard. So I I think what we're seeing trend-wise is that in this digital age where there are all these um, tools and avenues to connect people online, what we're seeing is that despite being more technically connected than ever, rates of loneliness and anxiety and depression are have skyrocketed. So obviously there's something, some thread of intention of connection with these digital tools is getting lost because it's just not a stand-in for in-person connection. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people are really frustrated right now. And um, a lot of people are having trouble connecting. Um, but I don't think that that needs to be a permanent state. Um, so I think that the solution is, first of all, just recognizing that we are in a moment where it's feeling harder co- to connect. But the solution is to prioritize quality in-person connection and to um recognize that, okay, yeah, technology is not going anywhere. All of these tools, online dating, social media, what have you, they're tools that are available to help us connect online, which ultimately, ideally, can lead to an in-person connection. So really just setting that intention to bring it into per- into real life. So technology is supposed to make it easier, and it's not, right? <laughs> right, right. It does in certain ways, but, like, ultimately... Um, what we're seeing is that, yeah, it's not a stand-in for real life. So we also know that, um, you know, online dating, that's there to help people meet. Um, But a third of people on online dating have never been on a date through an app before. So it's like I'm just imagining all these people and it's like stuck in this purgatory of online. So then what do you think it takes to find love or a mate now? I think it takes a lot of personal ownership and taking taking responsibility um, for doing it in your own way. Um, so the moment that we're in, and, and part of why I think it's such an interesting moment to be making a study of, of modern dating as I have, um, is that where, okay, we had maybe one standard script of that we all adhered to, right? Where it was like, okay, boy meets girl, boy uh, calls girl up on a Tuesday and invites her to the movies and he picks her up at six and, you know, whatnot. Like, there's kind of one standard protocol that more or less was the reference point. But I think we're in this moment right now where that that script has been really disrupted. Um, what was, like, 
really rapidly shifting gender politics and um, like non-monogamy becoming more of a thing and online dating and like all of these disruptors where suddenly we're in this place where I have to um, I have to define this for myself. I have to figure out okay. What is my approach to dating? Because there's no one telling me what it's going to look like anymore. There's not that one reference point of, okay, here's exactly how you do it. Here's how long you wait to call between uh, dates, et cetera. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people are feeling lost is there's not that, that framework, that like go-to reference point in the same way. But what you do there is you take that personal responsibility to define it for yourself and to date in a way that is actually fun for you. So so what you're saying then is before people may have had community, right, or they may have had um, people they grew up with, something, some kind of structure that made it easy mm-hmm. for them because mm-hmm. they're probably well, in the same place longer. In general. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So that's an element too is just, uh, there was more built-in community, there was more built-in social network than there is right now. Um, and also there was more of a standard idea of what a relationship looks like. And that definition is expanding. And, and you know, with a lot of um, progress that I think is really exciting for just expanding definitions of what a relationship can look like and between who, and that means you have to define it for yourself in a new way that can feel a little scary. Right. But it's also very exciting because you can make it work better for you. Okay. So do you think timeline puts a lot of pressure on people now? Um, Yeah, I do. Um, I think that in that kind of traditional script that I'm referencing, the idea is, okay, early 20s, everyone is dating around. Everyone's looking for a partner around like mid 20s. You get married. Then, you know, at a certain time you have kids, et cetera, there's kind of this, this, one timeline when we can also recognize that the reality is that people get together and break up at all ages. So they're really like whatever timeline you specifically are on, that's just your timeline. So I think that what I see happening a lot is people feeling a lot of um, internalized pressure of like, oh, okay, I'm this age. Um, I'm at this stage in life. Uh, I don't have a partner. What's wrong with me? Which is, can make the the process of dating around and getting to know different people and exploring different relationships um, have a a pretty intense sense of urgency and stress um, that can take away from actually enjoying that experience. What about people's expectations? Do you think they've changed over time, and are they different now? Yeah, I think that um, I think there's some uncertainty right now about okay, what exactly. What might this other person be looking for? Like, is this a more casual thing from their end? Is this, uh, are they even looking for a monogamous situation? Are they, yeah, I do think that there's a little bit more uncertainty right now because it's not as much of a guarantee. The assumption that someone is looking for kind of the same structure that you are, that's not a, or maybe structure is the wrong word, the same kind of relationship that you are. It's not a guarantee. So that's where, Again, that might feel really overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be because it just means that you have to know how to communicate. You have to, and you have to have the self-awareness to be clear on what you want and then the skills to effectively communicate that to another person. You had mentioned before the show that the structure of dating and relationship um, is also being influenced by social media. Can you explain that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I would say that um, online presence is a factor in dating today. So, um, yeah, I mean, depending on what age bracket you're dating within and, and kind of how you're, you're, you interact with technology and, like, what your preferred digital communication style is, Usually, if, when you start dating someone, you're going to look them up on Facebook or Instagram or you know, see what their digital footprint looks like, see what's out there. Um, so that's new as well, where before that wasn't so much of a factor of, okay, there's presentation of how, how I'm you know, dressing in person. And there's also this online presentation that you can choose not to engage with, but it adds in lieu of that community, that more built-in community that you brought up, it adds a layer of social vetting, looking up someone's social media. And you're like, okay, well, they look like a real person, right? Like, <laughs> here, oh, here's some shared connections that we have. Here are some people we know in common. Um, so I would say that's certainly an influencing factor in dating today. And then also, on um, Social media can be used as a tool for meeting people, too. So I um, actually wrote an article about this. But a lot of people meet on Instagram, which is not expressly a dating app, but it's a social networking tool. And it's kind of a you know fair game to reach out to someone. They feel, you know, call it sliding into their DMs, their direct message. There is, though, this shift that you have mentioned because of the online tools um, with the focus on optimization. So can you explain that? Because I think that's interesting, right? You can, it's a, a strange way, maybe not, of optimizing all your options. Yeah, so it's almost a, de- um, a double-edged sword, I would call that element of it. Because um, what you see is, yes, um, let's say that you have a really particular religious preference and you live in a rural area and you feel very certain that you're really only going to be compatible with someone who shares your faith and is uh, X number of miles from you. So for that kind of instance, these tools are really helpful for optimizing your possibility of that because you can actually filter for certain variables. Um, I would say that Something, so that's a, that's a positive for someone who's having that experience. That's where that tool comes in very handy. Um, the converse side of that is, and this is something I see coming up in coaching a lot, is it allows us to get very attached to a fixed idea of who our partner will be in a way that can actually limit your options. Um, so... I think that it allows us to filter out um, based on surface level qualities or kind of demographic factors, um, things like that, that truthfully are not that fundamental to compatibility. What's more fundamental is um, shared sense of humor, shared values, wanting the same things out of life. you might even be drawn to someone who is really different from you or really different than your idea of who you think you might have gone for and you just, something about them tells you. Um, and, and that's part of what I think personally is really exciting about love and romance and dating is that is letting people surprise you. So that is something that I see as kind of um, 
a not so great thing <laughs> that online dating can do to our mindset is just getting us to filter people out um, in a way that, you know, it gives the illusion of control in a certain way. But what we're really doing is we're limiting our options based on judgments. So is a judgment of perfection? Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Yeah, yeah I just... think there's some perfectionism in it. There's certainly a judgment of, oh, okay, I, let's say that you are, it's this paradox of choice, right? Let's say you're swiping through Tinder, and you know there are a lot more people to swipe on, and you say, you see that their profile is linked to their Spotify music account, and you see, oh, they they listened to Phil Collins yesterday, and you're, you hate Phil Collins, and you can say, oh, no way, that would never work and just not even give them a chance based on something pretty arbitrary. And, but, but that's what you have to go off of. That's the information you're going off of. It's very limited, and it's easy to get into this like um, judgmental mindset where you're casting people aside based on things that don't really matter. So even um, with the, the unlimited options, people still can't make a choice or make a choice successfully. I, I think that's what it is, and that's the paradox of choice psychologically, is that um, when you have so many options, there's this paralysis of choice. Or, or even if, you know, you meet someone online, you go on a date, a date or two with them, and then something comes up that's a little wiggly for you, or, you know, there's kind of a rough edge, or there's something you find out about them that you don't love, or there's some sort of altercation. Um, when you can go on your phone and just go find someone else. Um, you know, that's an option rather than staying and, and working through a kink or um, whatever what whatever might have come up. Um, so I think that it, it does allow the possibility to abandon ship when things get real in a way that is not always helpful. Um, because if we just do that repeatedly time and time again, then inevitably something is going to get real at some point in any relationship. So it's too um, bad that they don't give you a badge for being a serial dater. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that should be a, a filter on the app, definitely. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters and be back more on relationships and dating with Coral Boyd. Support for KXSF comes from the East Bay Depot for Creative Reuse, a nonprofit organization dedicated to diverting and redistributing waste materials into low or no cost supplies for art, education, and social services while modeling the positive environmental benefits of reuse. You can learn about their Green Educator program and visit their store at 4695 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland. Find out more at creativereuse.org. Thanks for supporting KXSF. 102.5 FM. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Cora Boyd before the break about expectations in dating and whether we are having too many options today or maybe we have too many checkboxes. So what do you think? Do you think that we also have too many checkboxes? Yeah, 
I do. I think, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about um, what online dating allows us to do is to filter out for a really, really specific idea of who we think we're going to be compatible with versus being more open to real life and more open to possibilities. So, yeah, I do I do see a lot of people being very, very attached to this idea of the person that they're going to date so much so that they're, you know, they might have a really amazing real person in front of them who doesn't exactly look like what they thought or doesn't exactly have the background of what they thought they would be drawn to. And I do see this pattern come up a lot where people will be more loyal to their expectation and their kind of rigid specific image of this relationship versus being adaptable to rolling with what's actually in front of them, rolling with reality and being open. So you have to accept the idea that finding a perfect match does not exist. I would say so. And with the caveat of that doesn't mean that you need to lower your standards, um, especially in terms of how you're being treated or how your values are being honored in that relationship or how you're being supported. It's more about getting really honest with yourself about what actually matters to you. So let's say, okay, you, you want a partner who has X level of education. Um, what would open up more possibilities for me, for you instead of saying, okay, well, I'm only going to um, date people with this level of education and saying, okay, what value wise, like essence based quality wise, what's important to me or what's attractive to me about someone who has that level of education. Okay. Maybe it's that they are curious. They're a lifelong learner. They've prioritized um, bettering themselves, et cetera. Those are all the qualities underneath that. And then asking yourself, okay, what are all the other possible ways that those same qualities, lifelong learner, self-improver, et cetera, could show up in a person? And so and focusing that, on a degree. Getting what, about what, what's underneath it. So you don't have to compromise your standards. It's just not getting too fixed on the, on the surface level because that's holding you back. But that doesn't mean that you have to lower your standards about the things that truly matter, which is treatment, values, support, etc. That's a really good point. What if you decide that you don't want to go with the online tools? What are the other mm -hmm. possibilities or channels of dating? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, well, historically, um, this is kind of interesting. Historically, the number one way that people meet is in real life through their built-in social networks. Um, and the number two way was church. Um, and now number one is still social networks. Number two is online, which is kind of interesting. Online has replaced church. Um, Maybe more people so, will go back to church after this segment. <laughs> yes. So sh In social network, you mean like work, mm -hmm. work, yeah, personal? Yeah. So um, social networks, like through your your friend groups, that is the best way to meet people because they're already vetted. You know that they, they share some sort of common interest or common values. There's built-in accountability. That is, I think, historically has been the best way and it's still the best way to meet people. Um, yeah, you can meet people doing any kind of 
extracurricular thing. So what I always ask clients is to, when if you want to meet more people in real life, first of all, accept the reality that in order to meet more people, you have to meet more people in general. What if you were moving to a new city and you don't have any friends? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, then you have to build you have to build out a network, um, and that you know it takes time. But that means looking at okay, what are my interests? Um, what am I curious about? How am I currently spending my time? How do I want to be spending my time to engage these interests? And then how can you take that a step further and engage that interest in an optimized social setting? So. Um, Let's say that you are really into music. So instead of just listening on your own or researching on your own, how can you engage that interest in a social way? So whether that is going to more concerts and then finding friends to identify with that who want to go to shows with you or um, engaging in some kind of community around that interest. That's really the easiest way to do it. Because also, it's built into what you're already interested in. So even if you're 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 taking the pressure off of yourself, even if you go out and you engage this interest in a social capacity and you don't meet anyone, you still spend time doing something that you love doing. So that's really what I would recommend to to first leverage that location piece and and giving yourself the opportunities to be in environments where you're going to be interfacing with people. And then the second piece would be. Um, leveraging your proactivity and actually doing something with those opportunities. So actually uh, talking to people, actually extending invitations, um, putting group hangouts together yourself. Um, Essentially just, you know, really taking some agency and creating that network for yourself. Okay, so since online is Mm -hmm. is the most prevalent now, how should most people um, select the application that works best? I mean, let's say it's Match, think, mm-hmm. Match.com. You got Match.com. You got Tinder. You have, there's so many apps. Mm-hmm. How do you know which one's going to work the best for you? So I would think about, okay, what age bracket um, is most attracted to each platform and what age bracket are you dating within, more or less? Um, so that would be a deciding factor. So typically, Match is an older age bracket. So if you're dating and you're, you know, 25, probably not going to find a good partner on match. Um, and, you know, unless you're really open to an age gap, which is fine too. Um, but typically the more app-based um, platforms attract a younger demographic. Um, that's, you know, not true across the board. There are some older demographics that are on the apps too. So that would be a one thing. And then the next is um, looking at, okay, is this a platform that is attracting a little bit more of a hookup audience or a relationship-minded audience? Um, and depending on what you're looking for, that could be another deciding factor. So so which one's um, the hookup and which one's the relationship? Mm-hmm. I would say, so Hinge, for example, markets itself as relationship-finding app. Um, and again, Honestly, a lot of people are on all of these apps, so you're going to find a mix on all of them. And, like, of course, there could be some people on Hinge who are not looking for a relationship, or maybe they are and they're just not looking for a relationship with you, right? Um, 
some people also don't really know what they're looking for. They're open to different levels of connection. So that would be a good example, though, something that is marketed as a more relationship-oriented app. Um, and then I'd say the next factor would be what interface do you like the most? Um, in terms of your user experience, what do you want to spend time on? If you hate the interface of something, you don't really need to use it. So looking at, okay, where is your demographic that you want to attract? Um, what age bracket? And then just which one do you like the most? And I recommend sticking it to Max. Um, I know there are some people who are on like seven different platforms, and I think that that's a fast track to lead to dating fatigue, which is certainly something that a lot of people experience. Okay, so if I said to you, what are the top five? Are there mm-hmm. top, is there a top five list? Yeah, sure. So I would say Tinder. We know about Tinder. That's the most like biggest catch-all. Um, I don't know the exact stats off the top of my head, but um, the most people are on Tinder, is my understanding. So Bumble is also has a ton of people on it, and it's the app where the women have to message first. Um, so that does filter for a little bit more people who would be into that. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Hinge is great. Um, Hinge is the one I mentioned that is um, more relationship-oriented, and they have more um, like question prompts. It's not so much just a short bio and some pictures in the same way that Tinder and Bumble are. Um, OkCupid is a good option because that actually is both an online site and an app, so it attracts both an older audience and a younger audience. Um, And it has more question prompts, so you get a more fleshed out profile. Typically attracts, basically a good rule of thumb too is if there's more work that goes into um, creating the profile, that's more likely to attract people who are more serious about finding a relationship because they're investing the time and energy to put that together, put that profile together. So OkCupid is a good example of that because there are more extensive questions. Um, So it might attract a more relationship-minded person. Um, So OkCupid, and then there's also Coffee Beats Bagel, um, which is kind of a cute, more interactive interface app as well. So all of those are good options if you go the online route. Do you categorize by age group? When you're coaching, do you say, okay, this is going to be a better fit for you if you're in your 40s versus 30s or versus 20s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do. So I, I take um, a really customized approach with my clients and just depending on um, who they are, what they're looking for, um, what age group they're in, I will recommend something based on that. And then I typically recommend that they get on two platforms just to test it out and see which one works better for them and have a couple different avenues going. But as I said, I don't recommend being on more than two because you don't want to overextend and fatigue yourself. And um, you, you need to protect your morale when it comes to dating. Otherwise, you're not going to be motivated to go out and meet people. If you're, if you're overextending yourself, you're way more likely to get discouraged. Good to know. Time for a short break. We'll return more on mm-hmm. online dating. 
Hi, I'm Lisa Azzolino. I'm a Bay Area singer-songwriter, and you may have heard some of my music on KXSF Radio, as well as appearances I've made on West of Twin Peaks Radio and The Hangover Sessions. KXSF is so awesome, and they help support local musicians and bands by interviewing them and playing their music on air. And you can help support KXSF Radio by donating money to help keep them on the air and playing music you'll only hear on independent local radio. So if you'd like to help out, go to www.kxsf.fm and clicking that donate button. Thank you so much for supporting your local radio station, local artists just like me, and thank you for listening. Lucky for me, I've got your songs to listen to when I'm away. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Cora Boyd and I were talking about online dating before the break. And we're talking about whether certain apps are more appropriate than other applications for dating. So you think it's easy to tell which one would be a good fit? A person can get a good feel for it? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think that I, uh, and what I described generally with who tends to be attracted to which platform, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is that there are a lot of people on all of these platforms and they're, you know, the purpose of all of them is the same, which is to um, offer people the opportunity to connect. Um, so I would encourage people not to get too concerned with choosing, not to kind of put too much stock into choosing. You want to make a smart decision, but the great thing is you can always try multiple out and see where you you are getting the best results, see where you're having the best experience um, and where, you know, which one seems to work best for you. So you can always feel out a few and then just hone and tailor based on um, what you're seeing and what your experience is personally. Okay. So you did mention some challenges with online dating about the mm-hmm. outsourcing and automating. Can you touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, as I said, I I think that online dating is an amazing tool for helping people connect. Um, I also think that we need to use it as a tool. We need to remember that it's a tool and that it is not the only way to meet people. Um, so I do think that there are some more negative um, ramifications of online dating culturally on a, on a big, um, like a macro level. Um, so, and psychologically. So I think what I'm seeing happening is that we are very much uh, an instant gratification culture right now where we're, you know, you can order something on Amazon and it comes directly to your house. So there are all of these ways that, um, technology is making things more convenient um, and, quote, easier. It's interesting, too, as I'm saying that those are all places, you know, going to the grocery store, um, going out to eat. Those are all places where you might cross paths with people and actually meet people, right? So um, it's interesting that we're kind of, like, isolating ourselves and then getting on these apps to connect, right, versus connecting more in real life. So Um, you're saying that you got to try as best you can 
to make this into an actual in-person interaction? Mm-hmm. A couple things to be aware of. Number one, and, and I think it's good to be just educated on these factors so that you can be cognizant that this is what's happening. So I think what what these apps offer us is another opportunity to um, automate something in our lives, right? And I just, I strongly believe that relationships are something that we simply cannot automate fully. Who wants to build a relationship on a foundation of convenience? Um, That's not very sexy at all. (laughs) It's not very romantic, right? Um, And yet that's how we're approaching dating from this kind of very visually saturated um, shopper mentality. So number one, that's the thing to be aware of is that I, I think what we're seeing is that these apps, they offer the opportunity to connect online and to also avoid the this in real time in person rejection. So when you match with someone on an app, presumably you're both attracted to a two dimensional curated representation of each other online, right? So it's not necessarily accurate to say that okay, you're clearly both attracted to each other because you haven't even met in person, but. You're attracted to what you see, right? And you know, okay, the other person has swiped right on me. They also find me attractive or they like what they see. Um, So you know that. Then presumably they're on there to meet someone because that is the purpose of the app. And presumably they are also single, right? So you know these things and then you can ask to, you can chat a little bit and ask to meet up in real life and you kind of are set up so the possibility of rejection is low. And if it were to occur, it would be through a text message with someone you don't even know. So the stakes are pretty low, right? Um, that is a lot less scary than meeting someone in line at a coffee shop. You don't know their relationship status. Uh, you don't know anything about them. You don't know what their job is. You don't. They're just there, and you're attracted to them, Um the possibility of getting rejected in that scenario is much higher stakes, right? So I think what we're seeing is that um, not only is it a culture of convenience, but these online apps allow the opportunity to avoid that little feeling of discomfort, that little risk of being uncomfortable and possibly getting rejected. Um, The irony is that I actually think this is contributing to a macro kind of mass level of discomfort because what you get when you when you don't risk a little bit is that you don't invest. When something comes too easily, when it's too convenient, you don't value that connection in the same way that you might if you had met them at the coffee shop and you had put your yourself out on the line a little bit to talk to them and maybe ask them out. So we go into these states with a very different mentality where because of the convenience, we're perhaps not valuing each other as much. We're not valuing the connection as much. So It's like visual shopping, right? You kind of, mm-hmm. you're just looking, and I think that's a challenge because yeah. you're kind of putting yourself out there yeah. visually. And if the person likes right. you, the person responds or the person doesn't. Right, exactly, exactly. But the reality is that you have to, at some point, bring it into person otherwise you're just living in a fantasy and this is where we see okay like yes there are a lot of people who go out and they have 
month, sometimes year-long correspondences with people online who they've never met in real life. So this is where it can get very slippery and very easy to project whatever fantasy you want onto this person. Um, so what can happen is we're, that we live in this fantasy world. What I do want to ask you, though, is what if one doesn't want to go online or one is an introvert? Like this whole idea of yeah. putting yourself out there is just too much. What yeah, should the yeah. person do? That's um, The answer to that is something that is not... It's not always an answer that people love to hear because it's not so... Uh, convenient, right? And and that's coming back to that reality I brought up before of, okay, in order to meet more people, you actually have to meet more people. You actually have to put yourself out there. You have to go out and um, or, you know, connect through your network or whatever it might be. But if, if you want to meet someone, you have to put yourself in situations where you're going to meet people, right? So, that can be a challenge for people who are more introverted where, um, you know, they get recharged by spending time alone and they actually get really drained um, by spending a lot of time with people. So I'm glad that you bring that up because I actually think we need to talk about this more and how um, important it is to understand your own energy patterns and how important that is to um, just life and moving through the world and also for dating and relationships as well. Not just in the courtship process, the process of meeting people and going on dates initially, but also in being in relationships, too. It's um, how much time do you need alone? How much time, quality time do you need with your partner? How much time do you need apart with your friends or whatever it might be? Just being really tuned into that and really aware of, of what works for you is so helpful because then you're not you're not overextending yourself, you're not depleting your reservoir and then being grouchy at your partner because you haven't taken care of yourself. Um, so, But you did um, say that if you are introvert um, and you don't like bars. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's about making it work for you. Um, and that might require getting a little bit creative. It might require... Um, going about this in a way that's a little bit, that looks a little different than it looks for someone else, right? And that's what I mean also about tailoring and customizing, personalizing your approach to dating to work for you and your life. Because there's so many variables that go into this and what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for you. Um, so that's where that exercise of looking at, okay, how do I like to spend my time um, how can I engage my interests in a slightly more social way? And maybe for someone who's really introverted, what do I have energy for? Like, okay, first of all, how frequently can I go out into the world realistically? Um, and what are the social contexts that drain me? And what are the social contexts that energize me? So that's going to be different person to person. Um, but you need to be aware of that in yourself, and that the process of bringing aware, awareness to that is really to just start noticing, um, just start tracking your energy better. Um, but yeah, it's you know maybe you have capacity to go out once a week, and you don't like bars, so maybe you have capacity to go to a an author lecture, something like that. There are all different ways to socialize, not just bars. Um, you mentioned something so, about learning okay. style. Mm-hmm. 
Um, can learning you explain? Style? Yes, learning mm-hmm. style and using that mm-hmm. to go out and get experience and to meet people. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think another thing to be aware of uh, about yourself is uh, not just your energy patterns, but how you learn that. Um, so let's say some, an exercise I do with my clients a lot um, is just, first of all, drawing attention to the fact that dating is just a skill set. It's just about understanding certain social scripts within a really specific context. So the skill set of dating or the skill set of romantic relationship is different than the skill set of navigating platonic relationship or friendships in the same way that that is different from navigating professional relationships and the professional world and all of the socializing and connecting that happens in that context. Um, so something I ask my clients a lot is, okay, taking often the um, example of professional skill set is, is a good one. Um, when you were first entering the professional world, when you, i.e., when you were first learning this new social script that was new to you and that um, you didn't necessarily, you know, maybe you did internalize it, but you weren't bad at it at the time. You were just unexperienced. You just didn't know yet, okay, what's kind of standard? What can I expect? What's appropriate here? What's not, et cetera. Um, it's the same thing with dating. It's, it's just about learning a new social script. So if we look at a time, an instance where we were a beginner in something, so taking that example of, okay, when you were first entering the professional world, you didn't really understand all of those dynamics and how it went. How did you learn that? What was your process of learning that? Was that, were you observing people around you and modeling their social behavior? Were you reading books? Were you... Um, you know, practicing interviews with your friends, et cetera. In all likelihood, it was some combination of those things. And the glue that held it all together is you got experience. You went out there and you did meetings and you did phone calls. And yes, you were nervous at first, but you started to see, you started to get a feel, you started to get kind of a roadmap and a point of reference of how it is. So Looking at something like that of, okay, what's another instance where you learned a new social script is really helpful because you can observe, okay, learning-wise, what worked for me there? What was most effective? Was it just going out there and seeing what happens? Was it doing a little research beforehand? Was it talking to people and um, kind of polling perspectives? And then you can take that framework that worked for you to learn a social script before and you can superimpose some of those learning tools on into the context or onto the context of dating. But it's about getting perspective and experience as you go. So, you know, I guess if you can yeah. think of it that way, maybe it takes the emotional charge out of it. Yeah, exactly. And of course, recognizing that it's going to be a little bit different, but just seeing for yourself, okay, I did it before in one area of life. Here's what works for me. Here's what my process looks like. Here's what might have worked better. How can I apply this here and just be a beginner? It's, you know, I mean, it depends on where you're at with dating. Maybe um, you've been prioritizing your career and you haven't dated. You haven't carved out that time very much. And, of course, you're not going to feel comfortable with it if you don't have that experience. Um, So, yeah, I think I I had mentioned before that as an entrepreneur, um, I really I see so many parallels between dating and entrepreneurship, 
just in that they're both highly experience-based skill sets of trial and error and seeing what works, trying things out, um, and reiterating and then kind of re-honing and re-angling and um, taking a different approach when something doesn't work out. If something's going really well, you roll with it and you keep going with that. Um, and it is simply, it's an experientially learned thing where you just don't know what's going to work until you try it. Time for a quick break and we'll be right back with uh-huh. Dating in the Modern World. Hey, it's Val, a longtime KXSF listener, your live local real radio. And that's why you're here, right? Listening to KXSF 102.5 FM San Francisco. They give you more of what you want. Music and programming curated by actual human beings who live in your neighborhoods, plus live music and interviews with local artists and bands. But to stay on the air, KXSF needs your financial support. Donate now to KXSF by going online to www.kxsf.fm. Keep real radio alive in San Francisco. Donate now at www.kxsf.fm. Thank you. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Back to the discussion about dating in the modern world with Cora Boyd. Okay, so once you meet that person, what do you think it has to happen for the right match to click in and work? Well, that really depends on your honest answer to yourself of what's important to you. Um, So is that going to be a relationship that supports you in whatever is important to you and that kind of is in alignment with that? So that's going to be different person to person. Um, I would say there's a huge level of kind of intuition and feeling and like, oh, does this feel good? And that's something that I encourage people to focus on rather than getting too hung up and like, oh, does this make sense? Just like all the mind stuff is, do I feel good around this person? Does this person make me feel good about myself? Do I enjoy spending time with this person? When I spend time with this person, do I want to see them again every single time? These are important things to pay attention to because they're really feelings-based and you're going to know the answer to that. And it's really quite simple. Um, Right. Like if values and um, what you want is aligning and you feel great around the person and they help you feel great about yourself and they support you in working towards whatever you're working towards. And every time you spend time with them, you want to see them again, then don't overthink it. That that sounds pretty great. So aligned (laughs) values and goals Uh are the way to think of to feel rather than think your way through it. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that the kind of evaluation, uh, the, the logical evaluation, because in, in our love life, we, you know, logic has a seat at the table and feelings have a seat at the table, too. Ideally, they, these two decision-making um, factors are in conversation with each other. We're not just leading with our logic and we're not just leading with 
feelings with no logic, right? So we're responding to both. So I would say that from a logical perspective, evaluating if it if it seems like, okay, values are in line, what you want is in line, if like your lifestyles make sense together, if, you know, you want the same things, um, that's something that you could evaluate from a logical perspective. And then to evaluate from a feeling perspective is just, how do I feel around this person? How do they make me feel about myself? Like, after I spend time with them, how do I feel? What, what are the feelings that I associate with this person? Because that matters, too. I mean, that honestly, that matters the most. What if one knows exactly what one wants, but one isn't able mm-hmm. to find it? Because I hear this a lot. So that is an instance where it depends on the context. So um, this would be, I could kind of hone in a little bit more if I was speaking to um kind of coaching through it with someone. It's something that I'd have to have, like, have a conversation with them to really know what was going on. But um, it's possible that they need to tailor their approach. You know, they just need to get more creative. They need to recognize, okay, like what I have been doing isn't working for me. So as Einstein says, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. So taking a different approach, if you literally can't think of anything, I mean, that's what coaches like me are for, or, you know, there are other coaches as well, but getting help with your approach, if, if you're really hitting a dead end by yourself, that's an option too. Um, and then it also could be that you think you know what you want, but really you're limiting yourself and you're um, boxing yourself in. And, uh, you know, it, that depends. That's a possibility too. It's, likely some cocktail of these things where there just needs to be a reshift in terms of your mentality and also in terms of the actions that you're taking. So maybe about being too attached to an idea. Mm-hmm. And also being really honest with yourself about, okay, you want this to attract this person. What are you bringing to the table? Because maybe you're not attracting, you know, and this maybe you're just not showing up as the person who's going to attract that person because you want someone who is doing X, Y, and Z, but you're not doing that yourself, then, of course, you're going to have trouble finding this person. What mm-hmm. if someone has gone through a number of rejections and has become mm-hmm. so discouraged at trying? So that is something I see come up a lot is that, that discouragement. Um, and that would be, that's a mind, it's both, I mean, all of it. It's a mindset shift and it's an action shift. So, and those are paired together. So the thing to do if you've had a series of rejections is to be, to be really honest about what was going on there and, and look at, okay, is there, is there a pattern? Is there a commonality through those strength, those strengths of rejections? What were they happening in the same context again and again? Okay. Like what, what was I doing in that context? Um, how can I learn from that? So the first would be to take an honest look about what was going on there. The second would be to reshift your focus. And it's very likely that in addition to having experienced a number of rejections, which all of us do, we all get rejected and it sucks. And, but just remembering that it's not just you. Um, But looking at that and saying, okay, what are all the other times that I didn't get rejected or what are in all likelihood, you're only focusing on those rejections and you're looking at that as, Oh, that's 
the only thing that's happening, but you're just ignoring the reality that in addition to that, all sorts of other things have been happening. So reshifting your focus and being and, and saying, okay, actually, is that true? Is it true that I always get rejected? Um, so that would be a, a thing to kind of challenge yourself with mindset wise. And then as you reflect, as you get clear on, okay, what's not working about your tactic or your approach or, or who you're pursuing or where you're pursuing them or when, um, then you can tailor and uh, pivot to be more effective and to have a better time. And then also just lower the stakes for yourself. Just looking at, okay, are you internalizing? Are you conflating? Are you catastrophizing this? Is this true? Is it true that you always get rejected? It's probably not. And then um, focusing on possibility, the mm-hmm. possibilities, right? Rather than focus, we're always yeah. judging ourselves rather than focusing on, on the possibilities. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, to like soften your self narrative so that you're not being so self critical and not giving yourself such a hard time. And again, um, you know, this is work you can do with yourself, with your friends, or you can do this with a, a coach too. I mean, that's again, that's what coaching is for to work through all this mindset and strategy stuff on the back end. What about self-sabotage? Um, mm-hmm. Like, what do people tend to yeah. do? Yeah. Very so, quickly. all kinds of things. <laughs> um, I've seen a very wide spectrum. Um, I think what's so interesting about working with people in the, the space of love and relationships is it, you know, it's one of the areas of life that is most personal. It is most vulnerable and you know what? It is it is high stakes ultimately um, because you're you're sometimes you're really putting your heart on the line and you're really putting yourself out there with the possibility of getting hurt um, sometimes quite badly, um, which you know that can happen. Um, so yeah, it, it is scary. And whenever something is scary, uh, <laughs> whenever there's this big scary unknown. Uh, we're all master self-saboteurs when it comes to dating and relationships. Not willing to experience a little rejection or risk. Right, right. So part of that is recognizing that's part of the equation. That is part of participating and love and relationships is there is risk. You're never going to be able to engage that part of life without a little bit of risk. So that's something you just need to accept, and it's something you need to make work for you, and you need to roll with. And if you can't, you're not going to be able to experience love. But you did mention you did mention earlier that people tend to get attached to checklists, right? And then yeah, not... yeah. So there are all these ways that we, because we feel so kind of out of control, there are so many unknowns in this area. It's very common that we like to attach ourselves do all the things that we feel that we can control, right? So the checklist would be something that feels tangible of like, oh, okay, I can I can exhibit some control. I can have some control in this area of, of my life that I feel really out of control in, right? So that would be a way that people self-sabotage for sure is getting far too attached, far too controlling about the surface level elements of what this relationship is going to look like. And so like, when we say look like, we're talking about the optics, right? How does this look? What are my friends going to think? What are, what are, you know? <laughs> and then you're not convincing yourself to give someone a chance based uh-huh. on the optics right. and what you exactly. think he or she right. should look exactly. like. Yeah, so that's absolutely one way. Another way people self-sabotage is that they 
they come on way too strong. So they, and that, that's also out of fear, right? Because you, you're, if you're forcing a dynamic forward rather than letting it be a give and take and move forward, progress forward with both people participating and moving it forward, the reason that you're pushing it forward so hastily is because you're afraid that if you don't, they won't. And it'll just, you know, this is your one opportunity. You don't know when you're going to meet someone again. And, uh, oh, my God, I have to go over this now, blah, 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 because I don't trust that it can unfold with both of us just progressing it together organically. And I also use the word organically selectively because I want to dismantle the illusion that things happen organically in relationships because when we think of organic, I think we mean it happens with no effort and no risk. When in reality, at every step of the way in dating, someone is taking a little micro risk to send that text message, to ask that person out, to ask them out again, to invite them to meet their family. Those are all risks. Those are all engineered risks where people are putting themselves out on the line. Um, so coming back to coming on way too strong, that's definitely a way that people self-sabotage, and that's fear-based. Um, another, uh, on the opposite end of that, sometimes people self-sabotage by not coming on strong enough. Um, so not actually expressing interest, not being overt that like hey i am interested in seeing you again so the other person can't tell if you're interested in them and they're gonna either lose interest or they're not going to want to take the risk to put themselves out there too because you're not reciprocating um so yes all different varieties of self-sabotaging that can happen in dating um really no limit (laughs) thank you for joining me on spark today's cora yeah thank you